Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. I guess after well over a month of not recording anything, I should get back on the horse for this because it has been so long that we missed our two-year anniversary with nothing happening. But thus begins year number three of the Anime World Order podcast. What would we have done for our two-year anniversary? We'd have ushered in the future. Probably (laughs) raped Aaron again. Yeah, I, I never know. did anything of the sort. Leave poor Aaron alone. <laughs> yeah. She's always mad that every time her name gets mentioned, you have to use that word. And it's not my fault you have a one-track mind. But this yeah, is really show Jared. number 65 of the Anime World Order podcast. Happy 2008 to everyone. I am Daryl Surratt. My New Year's resolution is to be powerful. <laughs> what was your one-word resolution? It was just internet. My one-word yes. New Year's resolution. That was it. My name is Gerald Rathgold. My resolution last year was to kill a man. I failed in that. So my resolution this year is to just maim a man. I'll see if I can do that. Emulate him from the arcade standpoint. <laughs> Sad. And uh, I'm Clarissa Graffio, and my New Year's resolution was awesome. Which hopefully, in at least some fashion... It will be. Yeah, it's not to say that she's not disclosing what a resolution is. It literally was the word awesome. Well, we were only allowed one word, and Misha took win. Yeah. So. Nobody took internet, though, so I came out ahead <laughs> of the game. And the subject of internet, our website is www.animeworldorder.com. We haven't got an email in a while, probably because we haven't put a show up in a while. Funny how that works, but our email address is <laughs> animeworldorder at gmail.com. There are currently something in the league of 300 emails in the inbox. We should do another email only show and then only answer like two emails. That's a plan. <laughs> yeah. Like we did for that voicemail show where we only answered three. On the like subject of voicemails, yeah. our phone number still, I think it's working 206 666 4AWO. Yeah, I think so. We lost all our Skype credit because we took so long to yeah. make uh, phone Aww. calls. That oops, all oh, five dollars well. of it. Yeah, oh, it's well. four or five dollars and eighty-four cents that we are never going to see ever again. But yes, please leave us voicemails. We did play them. Let's see, what are we talking about this this episode? I'm going to be talking about something that I found extraordinarily difficult to review. It was difficult and, uh, to review, so difficult that we forgot to tell people what we were reviewing yeah. <laughs> at the end of the last show. People have just been wondering for a month, what's going to happen? Yep, this is a surprise to everybody. But I'm going to be reviewing something that was kind of tricky to review. The two-part OAV DVD Sonic Soldier Borgman Last Battle and Lover's Reign hmm. by ADV Films. I think I got this off of one of their sales for like six bucks or something. It was an early 90s thing, right? It was late 80s and early 90s. That influenced what happened in it a lot. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually can't remember if I ever saw that whole thing or if I just saw advertisements for it. 
Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it. I'll talk about it when I get to it, I guess. All right. Because I've got very little to say about it, and I need to put it all in there. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Ruh-roh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, since people sometimes say that we don't talk about new stuff enough, and sometimes people want to know what we think of various recent series, it's not the newest thing around. In fact, there's a new anime season that's just starting right now, actually. Some stuff started near middle or end of December, and we've got a bunch of shows starting up within the next couple weeks. But there was a recent show by Gainax, who you all probably are familiar with, called Tengen Toppa Gurenlagen, and I'll be taking a look at that one. Caused the uh, internet to explode yep. for a couple of days. Yeah. The show itself. Oh, the actual show itself. No, it caused it the internet out. to explode for a couple months. Yeah, well, I'm talking about the later part of it, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it yeah. was a, it was an interesting one. I don't know if this warrants being brought up in the review itself, but for the first month, or three or so episodes, nobody was subtitling it at all, period. And then Studio 80 TRW was like, hmm, this is a guy next show, and absolutely nobody's subtitling it. And so they resurrected Studio 80 TRW and put out the first episode or two, and then suddenly a whole legion of people started to watch it and subtitle it. Lots of drama, too. It caused a man to be fired because of comments on 2chan. Oh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the Japanese for you. Oh, yeah. internets. I have nothing at all to review this episode because I've been not doing any podcast-related stuff for the past month and change. So, uh, as part of playing catch-up from well over a month ago, I'll just chip in with my thoughts on going to a convention from early December, the New York Anime Festival, which I don't think anybody other than maybe one or two podcasts that are responsible <laughs> have talked about much, even though quite a few podcasters were there. Mm. Let's go to the emails here on the subject of getting through things that we had meant to <laughs> do from a very, 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 very long time uh. ago. I'm not sure how to frame this so that it's funny, but I'll just start reading it. It says, hey, AWO crew, long-time listener here, actually a listener from almost day one. I'm a pretty casual anime fan, but listening to you guys helps me to think I know more than the hardcore who don't listen to AWO. Anyhow, in exchange for the hours and hours of knowledge and entertainment you've given me, I want to share with you just under seven minutes of entertainment I recently animated with a dude named Ben Levin, also an AWO listener. It's a short called I'm In Your Manger Killing Your Savior. <laughs> it's about LARPers ruining a nativity scene and pays homage to several anime conventions, especially our end credit sequence. Yeah, maybe some of you have heard of this because it's pretty popular on the internet by now. Matt sent this to us back in November. Hmm. Just to plug... Matt's website. We have a studio website too with a quick time, www.4taxreasons.com. Anyhow, something I think y'all will get a kick out of, no matter how long it takes you to get an episode out. Trust me, you're working much faster than animators. Enjoy. I actually met Matt at New York Anime Fest, and he's a pretty cool guy, even though he rickrolled a lot of people in karaoke oh. form. I don't think I need to necessarily give a link to this thing since it's got like well over a quarter of a million views on YouTube at this point but in the event that someone finds this show several months from now and wants to know what we're talking about tinyurl.com slash 27EQJH thank you Matt I know you probably like Dave and Joel more than us but you emailed us about this so hey there you go please give Matt money maybe 
give him like a show on Adult Swim. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, it's <laughs> probably better than a lot of the stuff they're running. Not even probably. What Saul of the Mole Men isn't? I never was a fan Tim of Tim and Eric. Awesome, awesome show, awesome show. Good great, job. great job. Great I hate job. that show great so job. much. Ooh, that sorry. guy's face makes me want to cave God. in his skull with a goddamn shovel. All my I friends really love that show guys. to death. And yeah. I can't stand it. I hate yeah. Bob Odenkirk so much. Ever since Mr. Show and Tim and Eric is his deal, and so is Tom goes to the mayor. Fuck that guy. I don't like him either very much. I like not funny. The, his deal is to not be funny. To not his be meta funny. humor style is being yeah. unfunny, and that's why yeah. it's funny. Doesn't work, guy. I don't yeah. like it at all. Oh well. I just whatever. alienated the cool people, but whatever. What other <laughs> oh, emails no. do we got? Whatever uh, we do if the cool people don't like us. Well, they're not listening anyway. That's true. <laughs> Point. <laughs> they never were. <laughs> All right, we've got another email from Matthew Cunningham. It says, thank you guys and girl, you bastards! I just wanted to thank you guys for all of the reviews you've done. As a result of this, I've become an otaku and picked up manga titles such as Welcome to the NHK, MPD Psycho, The Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service, and Genshigen. In addition to that, I've also started watching Blackjack, thanks Clarissa, Fist of the North Star, and Phoenix. Yet all of these titles combined couldn't put as much hair on my chest as the sheer awesomeness of Black Lion and New Getter Robo. Yeah! Okay, but all of that aside, I want to know where you, specifically Gerald and or Clarissa, get your manga, because I also live in Orlando and I've been trying to track down more volumes of Kurosagi and MPD Psycho with no luck whatsoever. Matthew, unfortunately, we can't really help you with that, because we can't really find them in bookstores either. I lucked into Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service. I've gone to Barnes and Noble. I can't find mail. I've never found more than like the first volume of Kurosagi. Actually, I can find all of it. There is a place in Orlando that does sell most of that stuff. Really? Yeah, it was an anime store, and then it closed down for a couple of months, and then it opened up again. I believe it's called Big Apple Comics. Bad, oh, Bad Apple Comics. Bad Apple. Bad Apple. Yeah, yeah, they are... See, I never go there. Right across from UCF. Yeah. Yeah, and... they're close by, but I never go there. Yeah, I've been there a few times. Last time I was there, they seemed to have a pretty good selection, but of course, this is really? relevant only to our like listeners in our land. seemed like such a small store. I guess I figured they wouldn't have a great selection. They actually have a much smaller selection than they used to when they were just an anime store. Right. It seemed like they were getting rid of a lot of their stuff because not only back when they were called Blue Star Anime and they did that big closeout sale and we all Mm -hmm. swooped in and bought a bunch of stuff. Which I still haven't watched all of it. Also at the conventions, they seem to be still clearing out weird things like buy the $5 manga and stuff from there because they'd always have weird things there. I don't know. I haven't been to the store since they changed over. I heard they had a manga sale recently, which of course I didn't hear about until after it happened. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that might be your best bet. But otherwise, for a lot of that stuff, it's kind of up and down. Like sometimes I'll go into the Barnes & Noble at Waterford or some of the Borders locations and they'll have Satsuma Gishiden. Sometimes I've seen them have issues with Golga 13. Yeah. But I don't see a lot of the Dark Horse stuff there other than, like, Berserk and, like, Trigun. Oh my goddess as well. Yeah. To kind of, I guess, bring this back to kind of something that everybody can kind of relate to, it sort of brings up an interesting subject in that, sure, a lot of this stuff is available online, or all of it is, pretty easily, but people, I guess, don't normally buy manga online because it's so cheap, and the shipping costs tend to outweigh the price that you would pay. Yeah, if you can get free shipping, it's not too bad. But... Yeah. 
I don't buy it online a lot because I usually find that I can't really get a lot cheaper prices by buying it online unless yeah. I'm buying used. If I'm buying it secondhand, then usually I can get really good prices. But for new manga, it's not like anime where you can find it often half the price online that it might be if you go to Best Buy or whatever. It's pretty right. much the same. So it's just convenient that I buy it at the store a lot of the time. I often forget to go look for some of those things that don't actually show up on the shelves. Sometimes you forget it exists until it's there right in front of you and you're looking yeah, at it. Yeah, there's so much manga that gets released now, and anime too, that I can't keep track of all of it. Yeah. I'm constantly forgetting, or just, they license things that I never heard of in the original Japanese because they just license so many things now. Which is um, biting them in the ass now, so... Yeah. Usually, the most manga I buy online will be when Right Stuff has a sale from, like, a certain publisher. Yeah, the vertical sales have been nice. Yeah, where they'll have, like, 40% off all things by ADB or Funimation. Sometimes when they have those, like, I did buy a bunch of stuff on that vertical mm -hmm. sale. So I'll buy stuff there, but it's kind of a mess... Unfortunately, the store with the best selection of manga in Orlando was the standalone Walden Books, and that closed down. Yeah, that was a really neat store, and I guess it was weird in that that was a bookstore that was right next to a gigantic other bookstore, and yeah. it lasted longer than the gigantic other bookstore because it specialized. It said, hey, we're just going to feed this manga market really well, and it well, lasted for a couple of time. The Books a Million, I think it was, that was in there, like, that whole mini-mall kind of died. So I don't know how much the closing of the bookstore, how much that had to do with the rest of the stores and the mall closing. Because a lot of times in those mini-mall things, once other stores begin to close down, it loses traffic, so then the other stores start to close down. It's kind of a domino. Yeah, effect. who knows? Yeah, it lasted a lot longer than I would have expected, but... It was very sad when that one closed, because they really did have just the largest selection. Mm -hmm. People let us know if similar things are happening in their area or not. Yeah. Might be interesting to hear about. The other thing that you might want to consider, other than just ordering the manga online, is if you actually want to look for a lot of different things that you're not seeing stocked in the bookstore, I'm guilty of forgetting to do this, but you can go to the bookstore counter and have them order it for you. And it's possible that if people that are looking for stuff like these Dark Horse titles or vertical titles that they're not seeing in the stores, maybe if people keep going and asking to get it special ordered, maybe we'll start to see that stuff get stocked more often, and maybe we'll have more people casually browsing and picking them up. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually very important that people go and ask like, actually physically go up to the person working there and ask yeah. them about it, because then they'll say, oh, this is being asked about. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to forget to do that. I'd forget all the time. And that carries a lot more weight than an email does or anything else, really. Right, just right. There's just a note at the end about if we know if there are any good anime clubs in Orlando, but I don't really know what the club situation is right now. There's there used to be several club. anime clubs in Orlando. Is Anime Sushi still going? Anime Sushi, from what I understand, I think that's still going. Anime Sushi is dead. It's been dead for years. Even if it's still going, it's still dead. Well, this is a place you can still walk into and watch stuff. It's not like Jayco that is actually 
dead officially. There's not even. There. It's not dead in the sense that it exists, but as far as anybody giving a crap, even the people running those meetings have not cared for the last two, three years. That's what happens when you hold it at a place and all you do is you play The Matrix online while everyone else watches. It's just the nature of the beast. I mean, anime clubs are largely obsolete as far as their original purpose is concerned. You don't really need to gather up at a regular interval to watch anime anymore. You can either download it yourself Mm -hmm. or get it on DVD by going to the store. Well, that seems to be the situation in Florida, but I don't know before when we've talked about it. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past. See, Daryl said that for their original purpose, and I totally agree with that, because the emails that we got... A lot of them did mention that what this now has turned into is a social gathering. Right, the meeting people, the doing events, stuff like that. There's actually the one that, we got an email about this, and I don't actually have it in front of me. The London Anime Club, and I'm getting the name wrong, I know. But they hold it once a month, and people from all over the area come. And Mm -hmm. Though admittedly, like the guy said, in London there's still some difficulties... In getting anime, even yes. though high-speed internet is prevalent and but, all that. But, I mean, what they do there is they actually have some dealers come every month and such. It's like a mini-convention, almost. Mm. They even have people from the industry show up every month. Which is not something that would be feasible here, or even yeah. something that would necessarily draw right. people out. Yeah, basically what, I guess, has happened is that people just kind of get together on a smaller level and just watch stuff personally now, since you can control that a whole lot more. Kind of like what we do, I guess. I guess. I mean, there do seem to be, in other areas, a lot stronger club presence from the emails we've been getting, but unfortunately, as far as Orlando goes, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot going on. There was actually that other club, Anime Gaijin, that used to show stuff on the big screen, and they got kicked out of their location, and I don't believe that they are getting back together anytime soon. Yeah. So yeah, we've well, actually. It's probably very difficult for them to find a theater that'll allow them to take out a room for basically free. Yeah, and so they don't charge any money for the viewings. The idea was that hopefully people would buy concessions, but I think anime fans are kind of cheap. Yeah, and they're all so, poor. Yeah. Between that and the fact that I think that thing shut down because management shifted over. They changed ownership in that theater, so they said, that's it, we need this space back. Right. People aren't buying enough concessions, and so they're looking right. for another place. They also had, on the same nights, Rocky Horror Picture Show, but those people have to buy popcorn. So, yeah. outgunned. <laughs> yeah, so, so we had speak. three clubs, and effectively... There are now there are zero clubs. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I guess... Other emails, then. We have an email here from Quinn, and he says, Dear Anime World Order, this is probably the first podcast that I have listened to every episode regularly. I was first drawn to your reviews of Dagger of Kamui. I love Daryl's review, Time Stranger, etc. I was surprised that someone else grew up watching such enjoyable atrocities such as Macron 1, Revenge of the Ninja Warriors, Starbird, Macross D-O-I-R-L, the dub, and many other things brought up by Streamline Pictures. To clarify, he probably knows this as he was writing, and it's just written kind of oddly. Not all those things were dubbed by Streamline. No. In fact, none of them were. I'm actually changing around some of the words just so the sentences flow a little bit better. A lot of those things I actually did not see in my childhood. It wasn't until several years later that I saw most of those. Yeah, I think I was the same, although I think I did remember seeing Macron 1 on TV at some point. Anyway, he goes on. In a world where people like Moe shit... Warring orange ninjas and overly pretentious cerebral boar fests, you bring a breath of fresh air. I'm all about overly pretentious cerebral boar fests. Like Black Lion, I would agree. 
the fact that you were discussing stuff like Gekiga, Golgo 13, Kazuo Koike, Gonagai, JoJo's, Tezuka, L-O-G-H, and Cobra puts a smile on my face. I like how JoJo's is just... Wait, wait, isn't L-O-G-H in a cerebral boar fest? JoJo's, oh. yeah. No, I said L-O-G-H. <laughs> I yes. guess. L-O-G-H is a boar fest. Even the biggest fans of it call it boring. As Walter Amos said in our last episode. Boring so, Habsburgs yeah. in space. That's it. Anyway, he goes on and says, I was wondering, what was your biggest purchase for anime? My biggest purchase would have to be all of City Hunter, the box set. All six sets at $70 to $80 each. An anime I loved dearly from my childhood. I was also wondering if you could cover Sakigake or Tokujuku, since there are fan subs on Torrance, and the new live-action movie coming out. Just a quick word on Otokujuku. We'll cover that at some point, and maybe you should take a look on those fan subs who uh, the Raws came from. Just a word. The biggest anime purchase. Hmm. For me, that would probably be maybe the Macross box set that Animigo put out. Mm. Like, I did a pre-order on that. How much did that turn out to be? See, it was so many years ago that I don't remember, and I know it was quite expensive. I got the other set of the same discs, but with the different outer box, and I got that much later on sales. When it was like $30 or whatever. Yeah, I think I paid easily over $150 for it. Yeah, it's hard for me to say. I'm pretty cheap, so I usually don't buy a whole lot of stuff when it's new. I don't often buy things all at once like that. When they have big sales, I may drop a few hundred dollars buying a bunch of different things on a sale, so it's probably be one of those, I guess. Probably a Christmas sale, like, deep discount DVD or something. Yeah, I think it's probably Mm. one of those for me as well, as far as overall bill goes. But as far as, like, single ticket item, item, Mm. I paid full price for the Zeta Gundam box set, which was, like, $200. -hmm. And then when I received it, I heard about all the problems that it had. I never watched it or did anything with it. So that was $200 that is completely wasted on my part, it has done nothing. I will never watch it because the subtitles are terribly screwed up on the version I have. And yeah. so if you think I don't have a serious axe to grind against Bandai as a result of this, you are sorely mistaken. And from that point on, I never bought anything in pre-order ever again. I think I actually also might have purchased the Kimaguri Orange Road box set. I don't remember how much that was, but that was also probably over $120. That was, again, years and years ago. Yeah, I've really not bought single things that are... Have we ever put a whole bunch of money down on, like, a figure or something? I had spent a lot of money on model kits Mm -hmm. long ago, but I never would pre-order things or order things in advance as far as, like, oh, this is only going to be something that you only see once at this dealer's room and you have to buy it now. Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. Yeah, I always end up never buying the expensive figures or models that I want. And then I usually regret it because then later it's way more expensive because it becomes hard to find, like those one-piece portrait of pirate figures. Well, to make this conversation a bit more interesting, how why don't we go to what is the biggest purchase that maybe either you or a friend has done in anime? I have no idea. Because a friend of mine purchased... A very nice-looking cell from Battle Angel, the anime, and he paid $600 for that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's more than I could ever put down on a single item for... I don't know if they're really friends as far as people I hang out with, but acquaintances that I might have met once, perhaps, 
I don't remember if I've met them or not, but I do know of at least a few individuals who spent $700 to buy five-star stories on Laserdisc. Oh, uh, yes. I paid $7 for that movie on DVD. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people. There are people yeah, who actually, I know. Yeah, actually, I do know. Can... Yeah. Did we just lose everybody? No, I just, I just stopped talking because I got cut off. Go ahead. I don't have anything to say. Well, you cut me off, so you must have. We cut each Save other off all say. the time. Say what, what you were going to say. I don't remember now. <sighs> all right, fine. All right, if but nobody yeah, remembers. As for large anime purchases, I guess that's about the extent of it. I guess we aren't really crazy Japanese fans who spend thousands of dollars on limited edition DVD sets and all that. Much to Bandai Visual's chagrin. Yeah. Do we have news? There's not a lot of news going on anyway. All right. Just a quick disclaimer. For the next 45 minutes, it appears that when we recorded this segment, the gain on my preamp was turned all the way up. So I'm going to sound like I'm clipping horribly. On the opposite side of things, Clarissa's gain was probably turned significantly down. So she's going to be sounded like she was boosted up by like 20 or 30 dB. Gerald is the only one who's going to sound normal for the next 45 minutes. Lucky bastard. Let's news! Working to restore power. We're back with one hell of a news segment. Hopefully this will not be out of date. Well, too badly out of date, I suppose. But considering there's a lot of things going on now with this particular situation, we would get our thoughts in ourselves. What we're going to try to do is kind of pull all of these things together and just try to discuss what's going on like we always do. And, of course, speculate and get everything wrong. Hey, we're pundits. We're allowed to do that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's true. So if we go back six months ago or so, or even sooner, we saw that Genion went out of business. They shut down their operations over here. DVD operations, anyway. I mean, technically, Genion USA still exists. They just don't do anime DVDs. So there's a whole bunch of these titles that they had that have not been finished in their DVD distribution. Apparently, in Canada, on Tech TV, they're showing the second season of Black Lagoon. We never got the second season released on DVD. If we move it up a bit, early this year, Viz came out and they apparently decided to cancel these two DVD sets, Mar and Hikaru no Go. Mar, or Merhen Awakens Romance, is a horrible show that should be watched by nobody, and so it's no skin off my back that it's gone. But Hikaru no Go was a really good show that I yeah. really would have hoped would have gotten a little more traction here. The problem was, yeah. horrible, horrible DVD release schedule. Three episodes yes. a disc, 75 yes. episodes total. Yeah. And what it, the hell, Viz? I mean, it's such a good show. Oh, it worked for Inuyasha, it'll work for anything. No. Yeah, Hikaru no Go needs a better DVD release, because more people need to see that. And supposedly, this hasn't happened yet, but people are conjecturing that a similar fate might befall Prince of Tennis. Which yeah. is also a very, very long show being released, like, three episodes at a time. Yeah, apparently they say that these titles are available on Toonami Jetstream, but there is no actual DVD release of it. And that's only the horrible <laughs> dub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to mention that the Toonami Jetstream site requires very specific, like, I think, Windows Media 9, so it's not very friendly for a wide range of users to play stuff off of there. Yeah, I've heard people having technical problems with the site. And if we move up much more recently, ADV decided to shut down their 24-7 The Linear Anime Network. 
This by itself wasn't a big deal because they always said that this linear network was only there for those distributors that couldn't handle a video-on-demand service. That is to say non-digital cable. Yes. That wasn't as big a surprise, but it still happened. And then, as in our last episode that we talked about, they ceased publication of New Type magazine and replaced it with Peak. Moving up, their Anime Advocates program. It's a anime club program. They will send out these DVDs to anime clubs all over the nation. From my understanding, they sent out quite a lot, and they decided to end this program completely. Then they shut down the ADV Films UK office, or they basically what they said was they put those titles that they were releasing on hiatus. Then they said, we're shutting down completely the DVD distribution in Germany. They actually came out straight there and said that this is due at least in part to piracy. Now, this is kind of the, uh, the big deal. An article appeared on ICV2 for a very short time. Thanks to Google Cache, we actually have a copy of this. And what this basically says is that ADV is cancelling 37 of their titles. Essentially, it is every title... Well, it's hiatus. Indefinite hiatus is the phrasing used in the Google Cache snapshot of this ICV2 article. This is every single title ADV licensed since the Sojitz Corporation invested in them. We talked about this quite a while ago, but Sojitz is this very, very large Japanese company that invested quite a lot of money into ADV. Wasn't it like $200 million or some crazy amount? I don't know how much it was, but mm. I think at the end of the day, they might have effectively owned like, I don't know, 40% of ADV or some crazy amount. I didn't follow the story super well. I just know that the Sojus Corporation ended up throwing a lot of money into ADV and that helped them get the rights to a lot of things. Yeah, from what I'm understanding is that Sojus acted as kind of a liaison in Japan or the first person in Japan they'd go to in relations with other companies in order to license material. Yeah, and I guess they made a separate subsidiary corporation just for dealing with that, just to be that sort of liaison between ADV and Japanese licensors? It might have been something like that. This is kind of speculation. Essentially, the titles that are cancelled are virtually everything, and I'm just going to go through some of the bigger titles here. Devil May Cry, Guren Lagan, Canon, Chevalier de On, Moonlight Mile. Five centimeters per second. Five centimeters per second right at the yes. top of the list. Stuff that's being released right now, like Pumpkin Scissors, Xenosaga, Welcome to the NHK, Utuara Rumono. Some of these are small titles, but some of them are major titles, like Devil May Cry and Guren Lagan. And 0091. Yeah, very big title for them, I bet. <laughs> I wish. But no, the, the point is, it's basically nearly everything that they got the rights to within the last few years, it seems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least within probably a year or so. That list looks like a good year or two worth of stuff. I think the reason, like, everybody on the internet has gone kind of crazy over this, and they were crazy about it before the ICV2 article got posted and then pulled, because the ADV website, which admittedly is largely useless, pulled a lot of these titles themselves off their own website and rolled back to an earlier, like, 2007 version, right. where a lot of the links no longer worked, and it stayed this way for... Longer than one would imagine an IT snafu would take. Yeah. And so normally people would just say, eh, server's acting up. But because of all those other things that Gerald mentioned happening all fairly recently, 
one after the other. The program shutting down, the magazine situation, the channel being canceled, etc., etc. People started to wonder, did the deal with Sojits go bad? Did Sojits yeah. decide that they've had enough of this and want to go home? Did they see what was going on with the Genion situation and Dentsu? Or perhaps they just saw what was happening with the home media market in general and just didn't want to have anything to do with it. People started to speculate a lot. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're going to continue to speculate throughout the rest of this news segment because it's all we can do because everything's a secret. But the point is, is that when asked to elaborate, all they said was no comment. They're entitled to that, but I kind of think this is a damaging PR maneuver. <laughs> I mean, once you say no comment, that kind of opens the floodgates. Does anybody ever not assume the worst when someone says no comment? In my experience, whenever anybody says no comment, me and most other people automatically assume that it's going to be whatever is going to be bad. Yeah. And that's why they're not saying it. I totally understand that. And I don't know. I think ADV would want to say something, but I'm pretty sure that if it is what we think it is, if it's the worst case scenario that Sojits pulled out, that ADV is trying desperately to patch the things up. Oh, I'm sure they don't want to lose all those shows. No. Some of those shows that they've lost are going to be big moneymakers. And Clarissa was just mentioning just before we started recording that the Devil May Cry 4 video game is coming out in a few weeks, and it's coming out in this $80 set that is including the ADV release of the anime DVD of it. Volume 1. Volume 1. And this is officially is no longer part of ADV anymore. But it's still going to be included with the limited edition of the game. Yes. Yeah. Which is odd, to say the least. My guess is yeah. that they have to get that stuff together quite a bit ahead of time for video games. Perhaps. I kind of think that whatever it is that's happening right now wouldn't have just snuck up on these people overnight. I think it had been brewing for several weeks, hopefully trying to hold off on announcing it for as long as possible until it was absolutely too late. It is not absolutely too late right now, but, you know, it got leaked, so to speak. Yeah. Now everybody is wondering what the heck. They did, after about 24, 48 hours, issue a very terse statement through a spokesman. Mm -hmm. I know when I went to New York Anime Festival and met some guys in charge of ADV, they were like, oh yeah, we first heard about your show because we were listening to the news segment talking about how, oh, they did an interview on Anime News Network, and then one of you guys started saying, this underground doesn't say anything! He's not saying anything in this statement! And I said it was Gerald who said that. <laughs> but this time it's my turn, because here's the statement they gave. We know there are a lot of rumors swirling about and that fans are looking for assurances that ADV will continue to distribute the anime series they know and love. While we can't go into any detail at this time, please know that ADV is working through a few short-term challenges and fully intends to continue our releases. We thank you for your patience. As I was about to say, this doesn't tell us anything. <laughs> it acknowledges that something is happening, but we don't know what's happening. They're calling it a short-term challenge. Does short-term mean a few days, a few weeks, a few months? I don't know. They fully intend to continue the releases. Doesn't mean they will. Mm -hmm. As uh, the proverb goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But this didn't really help as far as stopping the internet speculation. In fact, it probably stoked the fires a bit. Right. Generally, when you're handling like a bad situation, whatever it may be, sometimes it's worse to come out and say what's happening. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's worse to... Say nothing at all. Yeah, to say nothing. In this case, though, as I read 
every website I find talking about this, which is all the anime blogs, all the forums, anime on DVD, anime mm-hmm. news network. Everybody. Everywhere you go. A common thing I keep hearing is that people are assuming the worst that ADV has lost these titles. And they're thinking it's another Genion situation. They're losing confidence in the practice of buying shows. Because, mm-hmm. oh, I was buying that show. I have volume one here, and now the rest of it may not come out anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody wants to have one or two volumes sitting there perpetually unfinished on your shelf. Exactly. Right. And right. so they're thinking, oh, from now on, I'm just going to wait and get the box set. Or some people mm-hmm. are saying, I'm just going to only stick to the fan sub or... Whatever the reason is, they're losing confidence in the idea of buying home releases. And this is a direct result of the no comments, not really going into detail approach. That's Mm -hmm. a downside. I don't know if whatever the alternative was would have resulted in something worse or the same thing, because I don't have the facts. I think that this is a situation where ADV was damned if you do, damned if you don't. If ADV said nothing... We would have been speculating just as badly, and because they said something, we're still assuming the worst. What do you suppose might have caused this to happen? That is the million-dollar question. We're just guessing here. None of what we say here for the next however long has any basis in fact or reason. We're just shooting from the hip and going off our gut. Go for it. Okay, if I were to go purely on just total guess, my feeling is perhaps Sojitz was looking at ADV and their profits, and seeing where it was going, and they were thinking, well, you know, this is not what we signed up for. Not what we thought that this was going to be. Perhaps the DVD sales were going down. We know that DVD sales have been going down. Perhaps they said, I think you guys need to trim the fat. Maybe they said this to ADV, and so ADV said, okay, we'll cut New Type magazine, and we'll also cut out the ADV Advocates program, because that costs us thousands and thousands of dollars. Europe doesn't make us any money at all, so we'll cut that out too. Maybe it didn't make a difference, and then they said, okay, I think we're just going to have to pull out altogether. Any ideas, Clarissa, or wild, crazy guesses? I don't know. I mean, I would think that it's probably either something like that, or I don't know if it's possible that Sojits themselves is having any kind of financial difficulties. That's entirely possible, Um, I think, as well. Yeah. I mean, it could be that they're having problems, and so they've had to back out. Part of me does kind of wonder... Whether the live-action Ava sinkhole has anything to do with (laughs) any of this. I don't know how much money ADV has put into that. It has been many years of talking about it. But a lot of years of press releases. Right, so, and that's the thing, is there's no real way to tell, like, we have no idea how much money ADV has put into what's been done on it already. We don't know how many people have signed on with ADV to be investors in the live-action Ava movies. Right. So, again, because the industry keeps everything so secret, we really don't know. I think that also what we're looking at here is kind of a perfect storm in that I think we've known for a while that the downloading situation was bad. Also, anime is a luxury product, and the economy kind of is crappy right now. And the first thing to go are luxury products. Yeah, anime and and manga, people don't need them. And when you combine that with the fact that a lot of the people, as we've said before, a lot of anime and manga fandom is younger. Anime DVDs are already rather more expensive. I mean, with the exception of maybe movies, they're Mm -hmm. already more expensive than buying domestic DVDs. So I'm sure a lot of the teenagers and whatnot don't have that much money to spend, which is part of the reason, not the entire reason, of course, but... Part of the reason I think we see so much downloading and so much stuff on YouTube 
Yes, that is. You're right. The, the, the luxury products are going to be the first thing that people are going to say, no, well, I don't really need to buy this. It costs me so much money. Let me throw a slight curveball and build off of that idea that you just put forth, Clarissa. I think you hear a lot about the declining state of anime in America and how sales are down. And all I'm thinking of is I look at this giant list of titles. There's what, maybe 37 or 38 titles on this list. I would say that of these 37 titles, there's only about four or five that I actually care about. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm thinking that nobody ever seems to factor into these discussions is the, uh, as Dave Merrill would call it, the crap factor. There's a mm. lot of bad anime coming out now by everybody. A lot of companies are licensing shows of dubious merit, and a lot of them... People are probably like, oh, it's good enough to download and watch. It's not good enough to bother buying. And that's the same problem that the RIA has been having. And to a certain degree, the MPAA as well. That is a big part of the piracy issue that, you're right, nobody wants to talk about. The RIA doesn't want to say, hey guys, we put out a bunch of really shitty music and most of what we advertise is absolute crap. Or we put out so CDs nobody, where people buy it for one track. Yeah, and, so nobody's buying our stuff. They don't admit that. It's just like, oh, you, people just are pirating stuff. But people have been complaining about prices and quality of music and all this other stuff for ages. So The really big problem is that we don't really know what makes money. We can guess what makes money. Well, what should make money is what I like. And of what course. should lose money <laughs> is what I dislike. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm going to build my entire argument around... That very sound and logical assumption. <laughs> well, I mean, I was very surprised to see, and I was listening to the Right Stuff Anime Today podcast, and Zach Virtue was on it. He was very surprised that the Air TV series did very well. So well that they actually licensed the Air movie because of it. Hmm. And I never thought that the you Air... You would think Air... that's the king of shows that people would just download and post about a lot on the internet, but then not buy because they didn't romanize the character's name right or something. Something like that. But he was also saying that probably Black Lagoon sold well. I would hope so. Black Lagoon is like the type of show I would think would sell well. What if the same yeah. people who bought Air bought Black Lagoon? <laughs> um, I don't know what, even what to think of that. I, because I have noticed this weird trend of like the people who know a whole lot about like Gal Gygar and Space Battleship Yamato, but they also know about... Kodomono Jikan, a lot, and have like their hug pillow collection. I'm not sure if it's a case of people having bad taste or simply no taste at all, that they just watch anything. Perhaps we've got enough people who are anime fans in America who may not particularly like Moe, but maybe like a show or two enough to buy the DVDs. It's possible. That was a speculation about the Japanese market as yeah. well, that the majority of the Japanese market is misrepresented by the internet, which well, I can totally believe. It could also be that we've talked about the difference between the increase in maybe what you might term casual fans, people who aren't super obsessed nerds, but they like anime and they like manga, and maybe that has something to do with it, too. Like, maybe not so much the hug pillow collections, I don't know. But a lot of these people aren't these super obsessive nerds who might be the type of people who are more likely to focus on a specific type of show obsessively. I think those people are getting underserviced right now. Maybe they like a greater variety of things. They're more willing to, like, watch a little bit of stuff from over here, a little bit of stuff from over there. Hmm. I think part of the problem is just there's no Monday through Friday anime block 
in America anymore. Yeah. The days of Toonami anime are gone, and that's how Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon and Gundam Wing all got famous from being on every weekday mm-hmm. after, after school. school hours, not super late at night like Adult Swim has yeah. Death Note. But don't on they still run like the new Yu-Gi-Oh show and like I think they do. And stuff? Maybe. Maybe. I remember watching one of the bumpers on Adult Swim just a little while ago where they said, hey guys, all of you anime fans out there, check out our .01 rating on Death Note. Yeah, you really like this stuff, don't you? Goodbye. And that just shows Cartoon Network can make far more money mm-hmm. showing Squidbillies at a fraction of the cost it would take mm-hmm. to license anime shows. But it's also a time slot thing. As this pertains to ADV in the Sojit scenario, though, you're right. They might have sensed that when they first inked that deal, that anime was going to be a bigger thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's been on the downturn. I mean, for years and years, everyone's been wondering, when is the bubble going to burst? Right. Maybe we're seeing the bubble start to burst. I mean, what with Genion being gone and such. Well, it's taking a downturn even in Japan, isn't it? I think so. DVD sales are probably not where they want them to be. Of course, that's a whole other discussion, because we'll get into Bandai Visual if we do that route. Yeah. (laughs) But here's another crazy idea. Does anyone have any idea what the company structure of ADV is like? I mean, they're not a public company, so it's not like they've got a board of directors. I think that they probably do have a board of directors. Really? I mean, my guess is that probably John Ledford is King God, head of it all. King God running it all, John Ledford, then maybe right underneath him is David Williams and Matt Greenfield, you think? I think that they are right there, probably underneath him. But I think that John Ledford is right at the top, and I think that they probably have a bunch of investors, perhaps, of some Mm. sort. And I'm sure that Sojitz is on the board. Okay, well, would you say that the general structure and uh, style of operating ADV has got right now, do you think it's changed significantly from when they first started off? Because when they first started off, it was Ledford at the top, Matt and Dave right underneath, and then, you know, everybody else, seemingly. At least that's the perception that they put forth at conventions. As much as people have a problem with the guy, I think Ledford knows how to run a company. Oh, yeah. Ledford is definitely a smart businessman. But Matt Greenfield and David Williams, as smart as they are, are anime fans first. Yes. And... Businessmen second. I'm glad that they're there as the anime fan to I'm the very glad that they're there as well. The question is, is Sojits, as far as people at the very, very top, there's one guy with strong, strong business sense acumen. Do you think Sojits might have wanted some additional oversight to protect their own investment? Maybe put Sojits guys in similar positions of authority. Oh, I bet that that was part of the deal. I don't think oh, that yeah. any company would have inked that much money for them that we think that they got without saying, okay, there's going to be a guy on the board, and he is going to have voting rights, that's it. We're not making the deal otherwise. And we have a right to pull out as well. Which maybe they're starting to try and say they're going to exercise that right. Yeah. The only way that I see that ADV patching the scenario up and getting back some, if not all, of those licenses with best-case scenario, let's say, release dates of things get pushed back, is if they convince Sojits to stay. I don't think that if Sojit successfully splits off, that ADV can uh, relicense these shows. If Sojit's brought however many hundreds of millions of dollars, where is ADV going to have the capital to license just Gurren Lagann alone? I don't know, because it seems that the way this deal was inked, any show they licensed through this arm corporation is technically Sojit's. 
It almost seems like that. It's not like, you know, okay, we leave and the deals that you made you still have. The whole point of the story is that because whatever weird backstage thing is happening, the deals that have been made are being retroactively invalidated. Mm -hmm. Mm. Whatever way this whole arrangement is set up, it sounds like it's almost, okay, well, we're the liaison between you and Japan in the sense that we broker the deal and then we say you guys get to release it for us. And therefore, if they walk away, you no longer have these 37 shows. And I bet that that was in the deal. I have the distinct feeling that Ledford and them never thought that that would actually come to this. I think that they actually probably thought that anime isn't a bad situation right now. The Sojit Steel can help us get these titles that we need to put it back where it should be. Maybe it just took too long. Or as Clarissa was saying, which I think is also entirely valid, maybe Sojit's is having a bad time themselves. Yeah, we have no idea what their financial situation yeah. is. Maybe they just decided to tighten the screws and say, hey, trim all the fat. At least that's what I thought it was initially, was getting rid of Europe and uh, New Type and mm -hmm. the ADV advocates. And I thought that that was them trimming the fat. Well, here's the thing. Do you remember a, a week or two ago, there was an interview with the Funimation CEO, Gen Fukunaga? Yes. Mm -hmm. He, in this interview, gave a subtle hint that this was happening, that this was going to happen to their competitor. And at this point, their main competitor is ADV, because there is no more Genion. Right. Therefore, that means that the people in the know knew about this, that this was probably going to happen for a while. So whatever it is, it wasn't a rash decision. It wasn't completely blindsiding a decision, but... I'm not sure what steps can be taken in this very short... How, how many days has it been since this thing started? Like two, three days? Yeah, about four days. By the time this episode gets out, 30. So um. Yeah, <laughs> probably about a month. <laughs> It'll probably all be over, and uh, the situation will be somehow either resolved or not resolved. It'll be like completely every... completely wrong and look like idiots. Do you think that if this has been happening very slowly and they knew it was coming... Do you think that this is salvageable, then? It depends on what Sojits wants from ADV to stick around. I think maybe if that's the deal, that perhaps Sojits wants 51%. Because they've already got, like, the 40%. And if that's the case... Or whatever it is. That is a hell of a thing to do, is to give up controlling share to yeah. this Japanese company. And maybe... Yeah. ADV was like, we just don't know if we can do that. Well, I don't blame them, because then, who knows? Then they decide to turn around and turn ADV into Bandai Visual number 2. And then American anime fandom dies. Da -na -na -na. I should say I should say the American anime industry is what I want yeah. to say. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or if we just talked about it while I was over at your house. Right. But I remember at one time I'd mentioned to you and Clarissa what happens if now that Dentsu packed up and left, thus effectively bankrupting Genion, what if Sojits decides to pack up and call it a day two? And I think we're starting to hypothetically see what might have happened there because right now anime cons and anime clubs are unable to uh, screen a lot of titles at their conventions because of whatever the situation is there was an instance in a message board post somebody in an anime club sent an email saying hey can i show utawari rumino at the club and they got a response that uh, adv can provide neither screeners nor permission at this point hmm. and maybe it's for the better because utawari rumino is a terrible show should be watched by nobody right but <laughs> There were other shows on there that were good. They've got pretty good back catalog of 
good mm-hmm. titles mm. that they are good at re-releasing and repricing through the collector sets and especially that sort of Ava. thing. Yes. <laughs> yes, especially Evangelion. Which I'll probably never buy because they keep releasing new editions of it. They were so. going to release that super duper edition with a jacket, but they canceled that. I mm. know. I was thinking maybe okay, that maybe is I'll what triggered that. this whole thing. Maybe, maybe Sojits was like, we wanted our Ray Ayanami jacket. <laughs> And we don't have our jackets. John Ledford, what the fuck, man? We thought these these fanboys knew what they were doing. We gotta hire some uh, some suits to come in and enforce discipline and make sure that we can get our motherfucking Gendo Ikari jacket. Uh. And if we can't get our jacket, it clearly says here in the contract, no jacket, we break the partnership. And if we break the partnership, we get to take all the jackets. <laughs> it's just a tiny little Japanese guy in a giant boardroom with boxes of jackets behind him. Yes, and, and David Williams has to, like, cut off his pinky finger <laughs> and offer it in apology because he's wrong the people and, I don't know, build himself a cybernetic pinky built out of, I don't know, reassembled corpses found under Monica Real's crawlspace. Uh, all of ADV is going to be wearing gloves at the next convention, if they're there. Oh, God. What do you think the odds are right now for this blowing over versus this blowing up? I'm going to go on the optimistic side. I feel that John Ledford will salvage it somehow. I don't think it's going to be the same. Get back all those titles on the list? I think that they're going to pull hard for Devil May Cry. I think they're going to pull hard for Grand Lagan. Five centimeters per second, perhaps air, because that made them money. Beyond that, I don't know. That's my guess. I'm trying to be optimistic. I don't know. I think that they're probably going to figure out something to do. Like Gerald said, they might not be able to regain all of those titles, but maybe they'll be able to get one or two enough to keep them afloat. Maybe they'll merge with another company. I don't know. Maybe we'll see some deals between them and Funimation or... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is, like, necessarily, that's it, it's dead, but I think they'll probably be able to work something out. I agree. Thank goodness. Now our Pumpkin Scissors collection can finally be complete. Yay! Yay. What do you think, Daryl? What I want out of the deal, best case scenario, better distribution model and idea. I want this all to tie in so it's such that it's possible to... Watch Gurren Logan every weeknight, then buy the box set six months after it airs for $40, whole thing, one shot, as opposed to six volumes. That's like the absolute only way to fix things is to totally revamp the system. Otherwise, you're kind of staunching the bleeding temporarily to just keep doing the same old thing that we've been doing that we've seen isn't working because we always see that the sales of things are down. I think... If they're going to fix this and get back the titles with maybe pushing the street dates back, I hope it's not just, oh, and now so just has 51% control of ADV. I hope it's something like, and now, yes, you'll still get to pay your cash money for owning all of Tengen Topaguren Lagen, and you'll still get your five centimeters per second. But we've seen that people want to buy box sets. We've seen that people are kind of being soured with this whole individual release thing, precisely because of what happened with Genion. Hmm. You're not going to get to see the rest of Black Lagoon, probably, or, you know, Story of Saiyan Koku. No one is going to license that because it's a show for girls <laughs> and stuck with that one volume. 
way to reinstill the confidence in all the people and all these people leaving the post saying, I, I'm not going to buy any more of these anime DVDs because who knows if they're still going to exist or if they're going to release all of it. Do you think it's best if they release the box set first now? I think so. I, th yeah. I like the idea of box sets released first and maybe an, a separate SKU volume one. The best of both worlds. I mean, we're starting to see that. We haven't seen it very much. The CPM did that. Media Blaster did it for uh, Ray Earth, and I believe Pioneer did it for Fushigi Yugi. Yes, and Sony is going to start doing that for Blood Plus. They're going to release it's a half the series, boom, one set, and then also for people who just want disc one. Yeah, maybe it, maybe we might also see more of okay shifting the focus to the box sets, and then maybe the single releases will be for stuff like those limited edition Haruhi discs where you buy the individuals or the special editions of the standalone complex discs, where it's like you buy the individuals in order to get the bonus figures and CDs and whatever else that come with them. I'm wondering if I'm starting to get old-fashioned because I like to own media. I'm wondering if the concept of the anime fan who buys a DVD is now going away. In a sense, but the thing is, is that I'm not sure if, if I'm enamored with the idea of you don't actually own the thing after you buy it. I don't like the idea at all. The thing is, I think that this is different than Steam. For those of you who don't know, Steam is this program that you download where you can buy games off of it. And anywhere you sign on with this program, you have your whole list of games. You can download them whenever you want. Yeah. Effectively like the virtual console for the Wii. You've bought the game. If you delete it locally, that's okay. You can just re-download it. It's yours. You've got it. I don't think that that would work for anime. At least, I wouldn't like it, because you're not getting the same thing if you're downloading something off the internet. No, you're not. Although, this is the direction that the MPAA wants to go. They want the future to be that you don't actually have the film on the disc or whatever it is you buy. Yeah, they don't want you to own anything. Download the movie from their server. What happens if their server goes yeah. down? You have a license. Yeah, you just have a license to watch it. Yeah, even if anime companies didn't do that, even if they said, look, we'll sell you $2 an episode and you can download it in WMV format, which they're doing now, by the way. Then again, what if I want to watch the show in five or ten years. Where are these servers going to be? Are they still going to be up? Is the program going to be around anymore? Because you have to have Windows Media Player like 10 or 11 or something to download the license to watch it. And That's why open standards are good and proprietary formats are bad. I feel like a lot of anime fans are moving to this format where they don't buy anything, they download it all, whether they pay for it or not, whether or not they think they actually have a goddamn entitlement to it. The issue of fans not really being that concerned if they own their own copy. Certainly, if you're just downloading the fan sub, you haven't paid any money. The only thing you're losing is time, and if you're a student or in college, you've got time to spare. But for people who buy media, hmm. like the anime fan who likes to own the disc. I think nowadays, with the current generation and the proliferation of the fan subbing and just the fact that things are so easy to get now, I kind of think that people don't place inherent value on the shows themselves. Like when you buy the DVD and it's just the show and it's subtitled only and you have to pay however much money, that's the Bandai visual ripoff. What we want when we buy the thing is not just the fact that we've got it in a case, but that it's got extras. I think that the entire reason behind Bandai Visual is the cost, because if Bandai Visual's discs cost $15, 
I wouldn't be complaining. No, we wouldn't be complaining at all. But think about from the perspective of the person who's like, why should I pay money for something that's effectively no better than the fan sub? Which is an argument I have heard many a time. In fact, we got an email for it just very recently. It's very hard to mentally place value on something that you didn't have to go through anything to get. Even if it's as little as watching a commercial. That is why old anime fans place an enormous amount of value on their Odin Elder box set. It was hard to get. It was rare. And they had to uh, import it from Japan mm -hmm. and wait several weeks for it to arrive. Even if you released it very cheap, they've seen the show for free and they haven't had to put anything back into the system. Is there any sort of value that you can place upon that? I mean, if you download a video game for free, do you play that first or do you play the game that you went to the store to buy first? There is a definite gap between... You know, not just anime fans, but people from one era versus people of another era. Nowadays, I think that people who go to movies, they're not really in their mind paying their 850 or however much a movie ticket costs to see the movie. They can download the movie for free, sometimes even a DVD quality rip. What they're paying for is the experience of seeing it on that big screen and the sound system. Right. That's kind of where they're justifying the money for it is going. Mm -hmm. Other people might be thinking, I'm paying to see the film. Effectively, you're doing the same thing. You're just doing it for different reasons. You've got different values attached to it. Right. Some people, if they want to buy something on DVD, it's not like, oh, I've already seen the movie. I'm not buying the movie. I'm paying my $15 or however much this thing costs for the extras, porting it. It's just a differing value set that is what we're starting to see as possibly a, the trend emerging. And so, as it turns out for the online purchasing of things... We've seen that people don't especially mind paying a dollar for MP3s. Mm -hmm. If it's cheap enough to get and it's easy and convenient enough to get, quality isn't terrible and there's no horrible restrictions as far as what they can or cannot do with it, then they'll go for it. Right now, the movie situation is kind of weird. Like if you want to buy the Osamu Tezuka experimental shorts off of iTunes, which you can do, and you can't get them off a of DVD or anything, mm -hmm. you want to see these things... Uh, short of getting a fan sub of it, which can be kind of hard to find, iTunes Store is the only way to go. Let's say you pay your $3 and you get that thing. What can you do with that file that you've bought? Well, you can watch it in iTunes and you can watch it on your video iPod. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. You can't put it onto any other device. You can't play it on your TV. You're restricted in that sense. And so people will be hesitant to make those sorts of purchases. I think that the problem is that people don't really know. The vast majority of people are not aware at all as to how they're restricted in these things. Well, when they find out, then they end up being like, well, screw this. Because right now, for all the situations, anime is making some steps forward, but they need to be making Mao Zedong-approved great leaps forward as far as conquering the whole downloading scenario. Because it's so much easier to get fan subs hmm. in higher quality than it is to pay money. And it's a growing impossibility, perhaps, or a growing challenge to overcome. And I don't know if all this thing ties back into why Genion shut down, why this Sojit scenario is happening. Yeah, that's what we're trying to tie it back into. It's so. kind of all interconnected in a way. Yeah. I know it sounds like I'm rambling because I am, but... These are not totally unrelated issues. Yeah. I think every effect has its cause. Mm -hmm. Well, and also it's just it's just a really awkward situation because right now we're at one of those stages where a lot of social 
and economic paradigms are shifting because of technology. Problem is, is that it's very easy for us to say, okay, we can obviously see that something about these business models and the formats that people get these things in has got to change. But if we knew exactly how to change it, we'd be rich. Yeah, we would. Yeah. And that's the problem is nobody knows exactly what the rules of the new paradigm are. And so they don't know exactly what they need to do. Not to mention the fact that anime is in kind of a weird situation because it's sort of a niche market. So I also hope that people can keep getting stuff onto television that isn't in the middle of the night. Because I think the only way that you're going to get Everett to be outside of that niche market is just exposure. And I think the only solution to achieving that goal, Clarissa, is to keep in mind the crap factor. Yeah. Anime is already a niche market, and to further split that niche up into sub-niches such that you're selling things to dwindling groups of people with very specific uh, laser pinpoint kinks is not the way to go. It seems like uh, what Japan seems to think is the answer, and, and it's not the answer in the long term. Mm-hmm. I think uh, what made anime popular was shows that had mass appeal to large groups of people, yeah. mm-hmm. not just very small, dedicated sets of people who may not be very high in number, but damn if they right. won't pay $120 for that Mikuru figure. Mm. So It'll make money now, but in the long haul, yeah, they got to start making things that I want to watch. <laughs> I know that the kids' shows in terms of anime still seem to be doing well. I mean, I st- you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! Go go 13, 4 o'clock tsunami, be there. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! is still on TV, and you know, right after still on Yu-Gi-Oh! Like Bell. But, yeah, I Naruto, think I think, is still shows, doing well. Yeah, they've got to get better time slots for some of these other shows, like... One Piece is back on One TV piece without By all rights, should be huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's not. Well, okay, so at first it had the horrible 4Kids version, but... It's out now on TV with a good dub, and it's not horribly edited, but it's on Saturday night. Saturday night is not when kids are watching TV. Yeah. One Piece needs to be on Monday through Friday yes. at 4.30 yeah. or 4 o'clock or something like that. Otherwise, it's not going to get traction. And here's another thing I totally forgot to mention, and I'm sorry that this segment has gone on twice as long <laughs> as we'd have hoped, but... What was one of the big titles that Sojits and ADV had kind of gotten when they first brokered the deal? Sergeant Fraud. Sergeant Fraud. They haven't done anything with it. This was going to be a big deal Mm -hmm. title. They had to get this on TV. It's huge in Japan. It's hundreds of episodes. Mm -hmm. And it has to be on TV. And the only place where it matters is Cartoon Network. But Adult Swim ain't working out so well as far as the anime goes. No. Super Milchan didn't do so well. It's the most hated show, like, in anime fandom, almost. I think Sergeant Frog has enough to it that you could run it for kids. It's not like it's a very vulgar show. Not at all, really. Well, it is a kid's show, so... Yeah. It is a kid's show. But, I mean, so is Shin-chan. Right. And that runs on adults. Yeah. But, you know, you can't run that on Toonami because it's not going to go over here. But Sergeant Frog, in order to be successful... Has to be on TV. They can't release that straight to DVD. No. It has to be on television, and there has to be the merchandise to go with it and all that stuff. The only way that can happen is if there's someone out there that will run anime Monday through Friday. And that doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen yeah. on, uh, you know, Kids WB. Does that even exist anymore? Hmm. Fox Kids? It does. I, don't I think, think those well, exist, but they're thing... entirely American-produced things now. Uh, so one so. thing that I'm kind of interested in, I posted about this in some other places before, and I, I talked about it, but 
Viz is showing some different anime series at this major conference for television producers to try and get stuff bought for television. And the things that they're shopping around are really interesting. And I don't know if they do this kind of range all the time. I mean, some of it is pretty standard stuff that I'm sure will get picked up, like Hunter x Hunter. That is a big show if they get that um, picked up. That's a Shonen Jump series. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets picked up somewhere, maybe Cartoon Network, and put on. And if it does reasonably well, I think as long as they don't put it opposite Naruto, it's going to be all right. It'll find it, its audience, and it'll do fairly well. But what I'm really interested in is that they're also shipping around shows like Monster, Nana, and uh, Honey and Clover. And these are the shows I'm saying would potentially have a more broad yeah. appeal to people. I think that those need to be picked up. See, I, I don't know if this is going to be possible. I wish that they had shopped these shows around before now to where they could have been picked up and start airing now because we have the writer's strike going on right now. All of this regular American yeah. television is no new episodes right now. If something like Monster had been already picked up and was going to start airing now, I think with the lack of new programming, for them to put something like Monster on in place of or in a complementary time slot to something like Criminal Minds, hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say that it would obviously work and it would be successful, but I think that the lack of new domestic programming from the writer's strike might get some more attention to something like that. It was a really fantastic shot if they'd gone for that, because, I mean, there are shows today like Cops that started during the writer's strike in the 80s mm -hmm. and that did super well. Still on. Still on Cops today. That was experimental programming for its time. So I think that that would have been a really good idea if they could have just given that a shot. I mean, of course, there's going to be lots of people refusing to watch because it's a cartoon, but hey, what else are you going to watch? Uh, Nothing else is on. That's the idea. If the deals had been arranged a few months ago, let's say, they could have potentially said, well, we don't have a season of 24 this year, guys, but here we've got Dr. Tenma running around. <laughs> He's the new Jack Bauer. Yeah, except same. That would have been interesting, maybe. too, if they could have gotten that and then aired it five nights a week. It would have been interesting, but again, yeah. this is all very, very wishful thinking. Yeah. The reality on the ground is that anime is in... Very uh, unknown territory at the moment, mm -hmm. and we have no idea what's going to happen. Sure, hopefully by the time this episode gets posted, everything will be resolved, and we'll have to quickly and hastily dub in something to say, oh, just kidding, guys, by the way, this was what happened. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. But yeah, with any luck, it'll be interesting to see how 2008 shapes up, but it's off to a shaky start. Yeah. It is said that in the moment of death of your podcast... Your life flashes before your eyes. It's been one whole month in this new year, and we haven't even released one single episode. With the new year started, I thought, this is it, Mike. Only it hasn't. And the show is still definitely here. Hit it, Mike! Okay. Central. Series 4, coming soon. Check us out at r5central.wordpress.com. You can also check us out on MySpace and on iTunes. Don't count us out yet.
And that brings us to yet another mech show in our long and illustrious list of robot show reviews. This time, the fairly recent Gynax show. Everybody knows Gynax, whether you love them or not, is debatable. But it's been a while since Ava and Gynax apparently finally decided, let's do another robot show. Except this time, they went in a really different direction. For the most part, I think um, it's they, they decided let's not do something that totally sucks. Uh, <laughs> Unlike Mahoromatic. Oh, well, I thought you were talking about Ava. No, no, I meant like. I don't really feel like. I think it was more the He Is My Master brand of Gynax. It's been all the rage as of late. Yeah, I didn't watch that much of Maharomatic, so I can't really comment. But yeah, Gynax has been doing a lot of kind of weird things lately. A lot of fan service stuff, like He Is My Master and whatnot. But apparently, back when they were working on Abinobashi Maho Shoten Guy, or um, Magical Shopping District Abinobashi, there was an episode of that series, which each episode kind of had a different theme, and one episode was the mech episode. Apparently, when they worked on this mech episode, Kiriyuki Imaishi, who worked on that, and people might recognize him as he was the guy who did a lot of stuff for Dead Leaves, which came out a while ago. Kind of strange movie. He worked on Furikuri. He also did some work on Re-Cutie Honey, if anybody's seen that one, which is another very strange show. This show definitely carries that theme or that style. Yeah. So Imaishi, around the time when he was working on this Abinobashi episode, started planning out this new series, which would originally in April of 2007 air on Japanese television, and that is Tengen Toppa Guren Lagen, or uh, Break Through the Heavens Guren Lagen, or Heaven Shattering Guren Lagen. There's a couple different ways to translate it. Basically, there are a lot of similarities, as you said, between some of Maishi's earlier work, like Dead Leaves or Re-Cutie Honey. Into this, um, it does have that very much over-the-top, very dynamic animation. Interestingly, apparently the writer for the show is a playwright, Kazuki Nakashima. I'm not entirely sure how he got involved in working on the show, but it is an interesting choice. This show has been very well-known and very popular and also very controversial in a few different ways. I know a lot of people have probably heard that this was the series that resulted in a long-standing member of Gynax leaving the studio. And the reason for that is because episode 4 was directed by this guy, Osamu Kobayashi, Mm -hmm. who I believe worked on a lot of shows like Beck, Mongolian Chop Squad. Um, I believe he also directed for Kimigori Orange Road and Magical Angel Creamy Mommy. uh, Paradise Kiss, I believe was his as well. He's a very eccentric, very weird guy. Yeah. I'm told. It's interesting because a lot of the sh- uh, several of these shows that I've seen in his credits seem like pretty well done popular shows, but yeah, I guess he is kind of eccentric. And anyway, he did episode four of Good and Nagan, and if you watch that episode, you can tell that it's worked on by somebody different. It does definitely seem like it, and apparently people on 2chan really had a problem with this episode. I don't know exactly what their issues were with it, but I know that there were a lot of complaints. What I remember 
remember was that the complaints were that the animation quality was not nearly as good and that the characters' models were off too much. And I can see that when I saw that episode. Like, it it definitely looked like characters were drawn by someone else. Yeah, you could definitely tell that it was somebody different working on that episode. Yeah. But Takami Akai, who is a long-standing, I believe a founding member of Gainax... Yeah. And was a producer on this show, was friends with Kobayashi, which is probably why he ended up working on the show. And he was really offended by these comments online about the episode that his friend had done. And he basically slagged off on 2chan users. I believe his comment was something along the lines of that listening to 2chan posters was like putting his face near an anus and breathing deeply. Which is the internet in general, really. That actually sounds pretty accurate. I mean, if 4chan is any indication, and what I've heard of 2channel is any indication, uh, that actually sounds pretty spot on. It's what anonymity on the internet breeds, so yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But don't both of you read 4chan quite often? I do go there. Yeah, I I do go there fairly often, because there are good things that are posted on there. It's just it's populated by really, really shitty people. So I don't, I don't really talk to people on there very much. I'll skim a few things, but I mostly don't pay very much attention to what people actually say. I think I posted twice on 4chan, and I was called a faggot both times. Yeah, that sounds so. pretty <laughs> pretty regular for 4chan. So yeah, I don't know, but apparently, I guess, users on 2chan can dish it out, but not take it. Long story short, Akai ended up not only leaving the show, but I believe he actually left Gainax entirely. Yeah, I think it was an overreaction, and I hope he comes back there. Leaving over 2chan crap is, like, the worst thing to leave your job about. But that doesn't sound like the posters could dish it out but not take it. It sounds like he left the show because people were saying bad things about him. Well, no, apparently the controversy was that they said these things and then he insulted the fans. And so that's why he lost his job? I haven't been able to find a whole lot of detail about it. I mean, I've only found brief descriptions. All that I've seen says that the fans complained about the episode. Akai responded to the fans by insulting them. Fans found out that he said these things about them. And then shortly afterward, Akai left the company. Why can't that work for Uwe Boll? Yeah, Mm. I don't know. Or Stephen Foster on a comedy show. It seems really unfair, but... I don't really know enough detail to know whether Akai was asked to leave because he pissed the fans off, or whether he was like, fuck it, I can't stand otaku anymore, I'm out of here, or what. I wish that I could get more detail if anybody has good sources for more information, like maybe there's some Japanese blogs or something from people more involved in the incident that I just haven't noticed or been able to read. My guess is that incident was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe, yeah. Oh, well, so what's this show about, anyway? All right, so as I mentioned, it is a robot show, and it's kind of a throwback. When you reviewed Godanner and I talked about Gravion, we mentioned that back in the 60s and the 70s, you had your giant and super robot anime, and also in the 80s, and then the real robot trend started with Gundam, and then that kind of branched off. So you sort of had super robots and real robots sort of side by side for a while, and then, of course, 
Gynax released Evangelion. Ava was building off of a lot of the real robot things and then took it even farther in certain directions. For a while then, Ava became the big thing. And I think maybe that's because Ava had a lot more mass appeal. Traditional giant and super robot shows, and even to a certain extent, maybe a lot of real robot shows, they're popular with otaku and kids will watch them, but it's hard to get people who like aren't already super obsessed robot fans to watch a lot of those shows. Whereas I know a lot of people watched and loved Ava that weren't really into robot shows. It kind of branched out the genre. Or anime. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was part of why a lot of people kind of jumped on the Ava bandwagon and started doing things that were inspired by that or similar to that. And for a while, it seemed like robot anime was kind of dominated by that. And in the, what, the later 90s and then the 2000s, it seemed like there was kind of a throwback movement where people started making robot shows more in the tradition of the 70s Super Robot series. And so you got shows like Godanner and Gravion and a lot of remakes of classic shows like A New Steel Jig, New Raideen, so on and so forth. And Gooden Noggin is very much in the vein, at least for the most part, of these throwback shows where it goes back to the very, very over the top, burning passion, let's get really crazy sort of feel. More than just like a super robot show, this is more like the super ultra robot show, especially towards the end of the show. But yeah. Yeah. I think there's also, like, I mentioned Ava, but I think. How does Furry Curry tie into this? Because Gynax has two marching orders. Marching Order 1 is Remake Ava, and Marching Order 2 is well, Remake Furry Curry. The other Gynax show that's relevant in terms of this is another show that they did a while ago that I don't think we've actually, did we actually, I don't know if we actually reviewed it on here yet. No. The show called Gunbuster. No, I've been preparing for that. Yeah, Gunbuster is very well known for being, at least up until Good and Logan, the biggest giant robot. It seems like Gynax were like, okay, well, we did Ava, but then we also did this Gunbuster show, and you have people like Imaishi who are doing these sort of over-the-top shows like Furikuri or Dead Leaves or whatever. I guess they kind of were like, well, let's go back to Gunbuster and take the lessons from Gunbuster and also from Ava and then combine it with these new things that we've been doing. And it's Gunbuster 2? Well, they did do Gunbuster 2, but and let's just make, like, the biggest, most over-the-top, universe-shattering show that we can possibly make. They did it. The series is 27 episodes, and the overriding theme of the series is, number one, burning passion, and number two, the indomitable spirit of humanity and the indomitable force of evolution. Gunan Lagan takes all of those and, like, melds them together and actualizes them through the robot, which will make sense shortly as I explain more about the robot. To go over the basic plot, it's sort of a post-apocalyptic future. Human beings have largely been forced underground, and they live in these little pocket cities underneath the Earth. They're mostly completely isolated from one another, and there's a lot of earthquakes all the time, which of course when you live actually under the ground, earthquakes tend to 
break a bunch of your shit and collapse areas of your town. So all villages have people designated as diggers who their job is to find new areas where they can expand their underground villages into. In one village, there is a young male digger named Simon or Shimon, if you're going for the direct Japanese pronunciation. He is an orphan because his parents were killed in one of the earthquakes. He's probably the best of the diggers that they have, but he doesn't really have a lot of self-confidence. He's kind of a weird, isolated kid, and he ends up being sort of recruited and befriended by another orphan named Kamida, who is the embodiment of burning passion in robot show tradition. Kamida is loud, brash, and will say anything he wants to say, and he is determined that one day he and whoever else wants to come with him will get to the surface world and they won't have to live underground anymore. They can see the sky and be free. And he sort of adopts Simon... On one of Simon's drilling expeditions, he finds this little key, and it's a little key that looks like a drill bit. A little while later, as he's digging again, Simon finds this thing in another tunnel, and it looks like a big face. So he goes back to get Kamina, and their like ceiling portion of the village collapses in, and this big robot falls into the cavern. And this robot also has a giant face on it. There are a lot of faces on things in Good and Login. Like, all of the robots and a lot of other things are humanized. So this big robot falls into the cavern, and with it falls a girl named Yoko with a giant rifle and not wearing a large amount of clothing. And she proceeds to shoot the crap out of the robot. It doesn't seem to be overly effective. Kamina decides that he's going to try and be a badass, and he starts yelling at the robot. He wants to take it on. Simon has an idea and takes Kamina and Yoko to the face that he found earlier when he was digging, and lo and behold, they discover that the big face that he found is a much smaller robot, and the drill bit that he found is a key that activates it. So he ends up destroying the robot that crashed their town, and they actually break through onto the surface world. From there, they discover that there are other people on the surface, but their villages are terrorized by more of these robots, like the one that fell into their town, that are called gunmen. And the gunmen are all piloted by beastmen, who are exactly as they sound. They're like part human, part animal furries, basically, to yeah. a degree or another. Some of them look more human than others. Some of them more look more animal-like. It's kind of a scale. But the Beastmen terrorize the humans all the time, and so Simon and Kamina decide to join with Yoko and her village to fight the Beastmen and try and free their people. And, of course, along the way, they meet up with other companions who decide to travel with them. After beating some of the beastmen on the surface, Kamina comes up with the idea of hijacking one of their gunmen and piloting it, which after they realize that he was able to do it, several other people begin to do the same. So they start building their own brigade, the, the Guren Brigade, or the Great Guren Brigade, to go after the beastmen's leaders and take out their human eradication army. 
But what's interesting is that a lot of series, this might be the entire show, but Good and Logan, it's kind of this like three act story where the first act is that storyline of Kamina and Simon and Yoko and these other people teaming up to take on the Beastmen who are bullying humanity. But that story kind of finishes, and they move on to the second act, which actually is sort of like, I guess for lack of a better term, the Ava portion. It has the most similarity to Ava out of the entire show. There are um, definitely things that I see that are somewhat similar between the two. I mean, it's not the same as Ava. The third act shifts gear somewhat, mostly continuing on somewhat with the second one, but shifting the focus a bit and jacking everything up to 11. I think that the third act, I like how you kind of put it there. Like, the first act was the one thing, second act was Ava. I think the third act is Gunbuster. Like, yeah. Gunbuster plus 10. Yeah, and, that's a good description. And I know a lot of people that stopped watching at the end of that supposed first act. Something happened at the end of that act, and they said, this is it, this is the TV show that I want to see, I don't want to see any more, and that's it. Yeah. Personally, I think that's kind of a shame, because I like the first act, but I mentioned that a big theme of the show is evolution, and sort of the indomitable spirit of humanity, that they just keep going. And in fact, a large part of Simon's character is that he was Simon the Digger, even though he was like this weird kid who was ostracized, and even if he doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself, Simon always kept digging, and he kept going and going and finding these new paths for them and letting them expand. Human evolution and human emotion sort of are one and the same in this show, where they're both ways that people go forward, and they don't stop. Like the title says, you know, breaking through the heavens. Kamina wants to break through onto the surface world. Yoko and the others, they want to break through the oppression of the Beastmen. And there's always some sort of barrier, and the, the overriding theme of the show is that no matter what, no matter how shitty things are, or no matter what kind of limit you think are there, humanity will always keep going out of sheer tenacity, and humanity will always keep evolving. And this is actualized in the actual robot, because they reveal later, there's a bunch of stuff, I won't go into it too much, because it's kind of spoilery, but they discover that the Gurren Dagan is controlled and powered by the stuff that they call spiral energy, which is basically like the concentrated energy of universal evolution and expansion. Get her raise. Kind of. Yeah, and so like the Gooden Lagan, as long as whoever's piloting it, whether it's Simon or whoever, as long as that spiral energy is pushed forward, and as long as they believe hard enough, the Gooden Lagan evolves. It gets bigger, it gets stronger, it can combine with basically anything else. There's not, like, set robots that combine together. Like, Simon's little robot will combine with anything. For example, he needed to fly at some point, so he just grabbed a robot that had wings, and he just attached it to his back, and boom, he could fly. Right. Over the course of the show, it gets bigger and stronger, and everything scales with it because they have bigger and stronger enemies to take on. They beat one enemy, and then there's another barrier, which is a more difficult barrier, so they have to literally evolve at a rapid pace, and the robot evolves right along with them, and so eventually it completely eclipses the Gunbuster and pretty much everything else in scale. So it takes a lot of themes and elements that have been 
been used in previous Gynax shows and also just previous robot shows in general, and it sort of concentrates them all and puts them together, I think, in ways that not a lot of shows do, and then it just cranks up the intensity fuck it, we're doing this, and we're gonna do it to a degree that nobody else has done it before, let's go. And they don't stop. From beginning to end, the show just escalates over and over and over again. It's pretty amazing. I know, like, there are a lot of shows that are action shows that have big spectacles, but I think a show that can really just reach out and grab you and make you really excited to the point where you're wanting to literally sit on the edge of your seat, I think those are rare, and I think Good End Dagen is good at doing that. I think it's one of the most exciting, involving shows that I've seen in a long time. Imaishi, some of the stuff he's done before is interesting. I don't think Dead Leaves is a particularly good film as a whole. I think it had a lot of weaknesses, but stylistically and directing-wise, it had a lot of really interesting things, and I think that this is maybe the best thing that Imaishi has done. All of his techniques and all of the visually interesting things that he does and his pacing, like, I think he really refined it a lot for this show. Yeah, I think of everything out there, I think this is the most similar in style to Dead Leaves, definitely. But it's interesting also from, I guess, our perspective. I know at least two people personally and then a bunch of people online who went wild for this show. A lot of those people either had not watched giant robot shows or didn't like giant robot shows. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, about 90% of those people that hated giant robot shows had never watched one. But this is a show that is something that they watched a lot. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I'm sure it varies from person to person, so I'm sure you definitely... No, no, it's the same for every person. <laughs> Maybe one of the reasons is that it's very well produced and it's very well designed. I think that this show has one of the strongest design senses in shows that I've seen for a while. I mean, I think Imaishi is pretty good at that. A lot of his stuff has a very distinctive, strong sense of design, but Gooden Ragen has just this really strong unified design sense that ties everything together and you know a lot of people are probably attracted to that i think it's also just that it's very well done it's well put together it's well written it's well directed the cast is really good they turn in amazing performances i think it also but helps I, that I think... it's, it's a gynax show as well and i think that gave it a bit more attention than yeah other... i'm sure yeah, would. I'm sure it did get a boost from the fact that it's Gynax, and they did Ava, and they've done all these other shows that people really like. But I also think, personally, I like robot shows, but a lot of robot shows, and I think this is especially true of the kind of robot shows that Guren Ragen is a throwback to, even though I like them, there are shows made for children, and there are shows made to sell toys, and so the characters in those shows tend to be very simplistic archetypes for the kids to identify with and sort of fantasize about being. The characters kind of take a backseat to the robots fighting. And so they're entertaining shows, but they don't tend to be extraordinarily well written in terms of characterization and always strong plotting. But I think Gooden Ragen, one of its strengths is that even though it is definitely a throwback to those shows and it loves its robots and it loves the giant, crazy, over-the-top robot fights, 
I think it also really cares about its characters, and it really spends time making you emotionally attached to the characters and to what's happening. So some of the people who don't really like other robot shows, maybe it's just that they're not that obsessed with big robots punching each other, and for a lot of those shows, that's really all there is to like about it. Like, if you don't go crazy for big robots punching each other, there's not really a lot of reason to watch the show. But I think shows like Ava or Good and Ragen provide reasons to watch the show if you're not particularly obsessed with big robots fighting. But isn't that the whole genuine driving appeal of real robot shows? Aren't they character-based stories? How come those never really caught on very much among most anime fans here for those reasons? I mean, hey, a real robot show, it lives and dies based on its characters, not really based on robots fighting, but they're always dismissed because, hey, it's just robots fighting each other. I think part of that is that a lot of people probably watch a couple robot shows and maybe they don't really understand the distinction because they don't watch them very often. So just how a lot of people will just call anything with robots Gundam. But Gundam's the classic example of the real robot show that is character-based. What I mean is because they're not really interested in robot shows or they don't think there's anything to be interested in about them, they don't know very much about them, so they'll call anything Gundam. And it's not because necessarily they watch Gundam, it's just that Gundam is a well-known term, and if they assume robot shows are all the same thing, then they'll use maybe Gundam as a catch-all. Kind of like how people who don't really follow electronic music may still say techno to indicate like any electronic music, even though people that are really big into electronic music don't really use the term techno a lot. They tend to break it down into further subcategories. But people who aren't really that into it they don't really know that much about it. I also um, think it might come down, and maybe this is just from my perspective, and I'm not saying that it represents any other perspective, but it's kind of weird how Gundam never really took off here, but Grinlagen is a very non-political show. There really isn't yeah. politics going on. The basic storyline from episode to episode is very much like a 1970s robot show, and basically that an enemy shows up and they have to defeat it, and they pull something out of their ass and they defeat it. That is about 80 to 90% of the episodes. And yet, shows that follow that formula don't tend to be successful here, and you say it's because of the characters, right? Well, Act 2 uh, well, of Gun and Logan is the most political. Act 2 is the most political. I mean, like, it has more stuff. There are people that I know that who don't really like robot shows but watch this, and at least a few of them, they were okay with that first portion of the show, but what really sold them on it was that second act. I almost feel like, though, it would not have done nearly as well if it had started with that second and third part where it was very much more political and it was very much more about what yeah. decisions do we make. And I think that, Maybe not. I think that it almost needed to get people, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that Gainax did it and that there are people that will watch whatever Gainax puts out, and that this act is kind of a good entry point into watching giant robot shows, because I think mm-hmm. you're right, a lot of giant robot shows are about just punching harder than the enemy does, but I think people don't give them enough credit sometimes. That's kind of the overall base impression of it, and then they'll watch a show like this, and then they'll go on and watch other shows, like Gundam and such, because Gundam shows can be very difficult to follow sometimes, because yeah. if the storyline from episode to episode is usually very long, very complex, very political. I think it's also tough to talk about Gundam because we've talked about shows like Fist of the North Star and Gundam and Saint Seiya here that just have these kind of weird histories of missed opportunities and such here in the States. I mean, we've talked about the fact that the original Mobile Suit Gundam did not come out here in the United States when it was new. 
I think that kind of history of Gundam, that a lot of the history of Gundam, the shows that were the most popular and were what established Gundam and what the reason that people love Gundam so much in Japan, we didn't get until so much later. So I think that affects things. The same thing with Fist of the North Star or Saint Seiya, where it's, yeah, you can try and bring it over here after the fact, but the age of the show, it's not only about visual age, like the animation quality or the style of animation, but shows from different periods are written differently. There's different styles and theories of how to write that change somewhat from time period to time period. And but so didn't you just say that Gurren is written sort of like a throwback? Its structure is a throwback. Oh, the structure is a throwback. The, the structure is the throwback, and the focus of it is a throwback. There are certain types of characters that they have that are throwbacks, but I think the actual way that the show is directed and specifically written is very modern. Well, this isn't actually the first time that Gainax has taken this approach to a thing. I mean, you mentioned Gunbuster, and in fact, yeah. the show they made just prior to Gurren Lagann, which was a robot show, was Diebuster. Right. Diebuster seems to follow much of the same design approach philosophy of why the show is the way it is and directing style and such as this. But Die Buster didn't really catch on with people here in the US. Why do you think that Gurren Lagann succeeded where Gunbuster 2 did not? Is it all just in the name? That's really hard to say. I mean, I haven't really talked to enough people in great detail to know why they like this when they don't like other robot shows or why it's been more successful. That's really what intrigues me the most. I'm sure that, I mean, this doesn't really work with the comparison to Die Buster, but I'm sure as we mentioned, Gynax has something to do with it. But we were also talking about Gundam, and Gundam is like this franchise. And I think maybe a lot of people, they have this impression of, even though the new Gundam series are largely like alternate universe and you don't have to watch the other ones, I think a lot of people kind of see Gundam as this monolithic franchise. Like, I don't watch Gundam, so why should I watch the new Gundam show? And even though Die Buster is very, very different, from the original Gunbuster, maybe because they didn't watch Gunbuster, like, they're just not... I think it also has to do with the fact that you can only buy Diebuster for, like, $60 a disc, perhaps, and I don't know. Well, right now you can't buy a Gurren Lagann at all. It hasn't come out yet. but it has been licensed by ADV, and it will be coming out. Right, and And so so the the money issue didn't really enter into it at this point. Well, I mean, whether it will enter beyond internet fame and become, like, something more is, I guess, something we have to... Yeah, we don't know how well it's going actually sell here. I mean, there's a lot of shows on the internet that people like, and it's also sometimes hard to tell on the internet because people tend to be really loud about the stuff they're really into. Sometimes it's hard to tell how big a given fan base actually is. But yeah, that was really what seemed the most interesting to me about the Gurren Lagann popularity phenomenon. It wasn't that the show was good or bad or anything. It certainly seemed that enough people are uniformly agreeing that they like what they're seeing. What Mm -hmm. was interesting to me and what I'm trying to wrap my brain around is what are the elements present in this show that are not present in other shows? Because whenever I ask people, why do you like this show? They give me a list of reasons and elements and things that are actually quite well represented in a variety of other shows, Mm -hmm. none of which are popular. You know what? I think, and that's a really hard question for me to answer cohesively, but I think what it is with Grand Logan, and I like Grand Logan, I'm not wild about it, I think it's an okay show, but I think what other people are seeing in it is that it's a show that anybody can come to and take away something from it that they want that is good. 
if they are looking for a good design element, even though I didn't particularly like the design style in it, it's something that I think a lot of people get out of it. If they want really big, and giant robot fights, they're going to get that. If they want interesting characters, they're going to get that as well. And so it kind of has something for every type of fan, you'd say? Yeah. Sort of like the Full is, Metal Alchemist approach? I think that's what it is. I don't know what it is, but I guess your average Gundam show is lacking something. I think a lot of people just don't like the designs of Gundams, perhaps. Maybe they're just too Maybe. similar. Maybe other giant robot shows, like the older style 70s ones, they don't have enough character in them. So I think that this one puts a lot of good things into one show. I was actually about to say something sort of similar in that, first of all, I think that Gooden Dagen is a show that it's not so much that the things that it does are completely unique and they've never been done before, but it combines them in interesting ways that aren't necessarily yeah. done. And what I think is also important is like, even as a fan of giant robot shows, to be perfectly honest, it does the things that it does probably about 10 times better in a lot of cases than a lot of other shows that do the stuff, even though they did it first. I I think it's just that most people don't even get that far through the other shows to right. reach the conclusion that you and Gerald have gotten. Like, right. Let's say from a superficial standpoint that people are trying to explain the premise of Gurren to you and you say, oh, well, this is about three pilots and they've got the robot and the robot can change and there's a lot of drills involved. Maybe you'll like get a robo. No, I'm not even going to watch that at no. all, period. Right. And that's the general default response that you get. And my second part of that is talking about how it has things that appeal to different kinds of people. I think that's definitely true. Like, I think it does have other elements. Traditional robot shows are very focused in that they're made generally for small children and or hardcore otaku, specifically male children and hardcore male otaku. And they're usually very much the shows themselves are filled with things that are kind of stereotypical boys like this, so we'll put this in the show kind of things. You don't have a lot of good female characters. There's a lot of fan service for guys, but maybe not so much for girls. All those things, and I think it's kind of maybe a similar thing like American comic books have, where a lot of females just, even though they might like some stuff, for some reasons, it just seems like a boys club kind of thing that it's not... Like, Except it just, for X-Men. The only people I know who read <laughs> X-Men are women. It gives the impression of there's nothing here that I would be interested in, and moreover, nobody wants me here, or the people here really make me uncomfortable. Gooden Login, I think, has a lot of stuff. In addition to just people with different interests, I think the gender area is one that I think is a good example of that. That I think it has a lot of stuff for guys, stereotypically, and for girls, stereotypically. I think it's a very good, like, equal level show. Escaflone like? Yeah, it's not, like, super misogynistic, but it's not totally let's pander to girls. It's very much in the center and kind of in the balance neutral. Not so much that it doesn't do anything stereotypically in either direction, but if it goes one way for a while, it'll usually do something in the other direction to like balance it out. Yes, Yoko doesn't tend to wear a lot of clothes, and the sort of crazy 9x bounce is very much there, but at the same time, there's an entire episode where Kamina runs around completely naked, except for the little mascot animal clinging desperately to his crotch area to obscure his penis. And there's an episode where Simon is thrown into prison, and one of the ongoing enemies in the series is this beast man. He's like a cat shark called Viral, who is a pretty fun character. He's voiced by Hiyama Nobuyuki. 
He's a recurring antagonist, but he is kind of the one that, like, always has to be, like, the bitch. He always gets beaten to shit, and, like, he never catches a break, at least not until later on. He's a pretty popular character. He and Simon are both stuck in this prison, and they have crazy prison fights in tiny towels and nothing else. So it kind of gives a little bit to everybody. When Daryl mentioned Escaflone, something did come to mind in that I didn't like Escaflone, and I don't know if this is show would be a good comparison, because I think what this thing does that Escaflone tried to do was Escaflone tried very hard to be a complete romance show and a complete giant robot show, while Grand Lagan is definitely squarely a giant robot show. So there's no romance element. No, there is. No, there is. There is, but it's not, it's not it's trying strong. to be a... I don't think it's trying to be a romance show like Escaflone was. No, I don't think so. I mean, there's a strong romance element. I talked about the indomitable human spirit and evolution, and love is sort of presented as being the key to the human spirit. Love can change the universe because love is something that motivates people to want to go farther. And so love is kind of always at the center of things and it's always there, but it's not trying to be a romance show in the way that Escaflown it was. It's just a different way of integrating that. And in doing so, I think it succeeds more, in my opinion, than Escaflown mm -hmm. I think Escafloni was trying too hard to be too many things to too many people, and I think this one does a very good job with appealing to specific things and for different people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I really agree in terms of Escafloni, but I think the general point that you're making about good and Logan is sound. So maybe we should get down specifically to our thoughts. Well, I mean, I guess you can probably kind of tell, but I think this is one of the best shows of the year, if not the best. I think Gynax, they've kind of been a little weak lately, and Gooden is it's one of the most exciting shows that I've watched in a long time. It's one of the shows I've watched lately that's evoked the most emotional reaction and the strongest holy shit, what the hell did they just do? That was awesome reaction. And there's not a lot of shows that I can think of that do both. There's not a lot of shows that do either one spectacularly well. Ones that do both are even more rare. But, I mean, I love this show, and I'm very glad to see it looks like Gynax is getting back into form. I hope they continue. If not shows similar to this, then I hope they just continue making shows that are this strong and this interesting. Can't wait for it to come out here. I'm really glad ADV's releasing it. The dubcast looks kind of interesting. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm really happy with it. Oh, hey, we're pretty much at the two-hour mark. Whatever, next time I'll upload my really boring New York Anime Festival review, along with Gerald's really short review of Sonic Soldier Borgman. The way I see it, everyone was looking forward to hearing the news bit and the Gurren Lagann review anyway, so hey, no loss to you, right? In the meantime, while you're waiting for that next part, please be sure to head on over to gooberzilla.wordpress.com because for the month of February, it's another special theme month. Hunt You Like an Animal, the most dangerous month, in which it is entirely podcasts about movies dedicated to the subject of human hunting. I would say I am a guest host on roughly 75% of these episodes, as I am recording this. The first installment of Most Dangerous Month is up, Hard Target. Be sure and check that out for the stunning insights provided by myself, as well as Dave Riley from Fast Karate for the Gentleman, and of course Paul. So it's off to a really good start, and you should listen to it. As far as other things, uh, we played his promo earlier in the show, but 
Mike Dent from R5 Central is gearing up to release episode 50 of his podcast, which technically it's the 100th thing in his feed because every single episode has a trailer thing that he uploads for it, but it's episode 50. I think even though we've got this thing labeled as show number 65, it's really show number 85 if you go by all the different things that we've uploaded to this feed. Anyway, the URL for Mike's show is r5central.wordpress.com. So yeah, do listen to those things, and of course, support them on various podcast directories. Dig these shows. We haven't really mentioned this in a long time. But if you do that, then more people will notice them, more people will find out about them and stuff. I don't think any sane human being ever finds podcasts through Podcast Alley, but it's there if you want it. Podcast Pickle, probably the same way. If you have not added us to your favorites on Podcast Pickle, please do so so we can help stave off the maid invasion. And hopefully you'll see the rest of this episode later in the week, perhaps. For the record, I did do this edit during the Super Bowl, because I don't watch football at all. I'll watch the commercials once they're posted later. P.S. Go see Rambo in the theater. It's really important. If you want to talk about Gurren makes you get on the edge of your seat and be excited for things. What about Rambo? Motherfucking Rambo! What is wrong with people? Not going to see fucking Rambo. Dave Riley didn't even see Rambo. Paul Chapman didn't see Rambo. No one did. No one except Mike Dent. And Joseph Luster, though he may secretly actually be Rambo. Not even Gerald and Carissa want to see Rambo. God fucking damn it. Go and see this movie. You know how important it is? It's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Or at least in the last several years. Stop giving Hannah Montana money, sluts. Rambo. Rambo.